of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you have heard our praises and that you have smiled upon us, God, and that you would speak to us now through your presence and through your word. In the name I pray, amen. Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Welcome again. Thank you. I know Adam has already welcomed our guests, but I was uh, told a minute ago that we ran out of of, uh, guest packets this morning, so uh, I'm sorry for those of you that didn't get one of those on the way in. Um, we, we apparently didn't have enough confidence that you would show up, so we didn't have enough of them out there. Uh, but uh, there are some out front. If you didn't get one of those on the way in, it'd really uh, be great if you pick up one of those connection cards on the way out and fill it out so that we could just know you were here. I'd love to drop you a letter in the mail this week uh, and just touch base with you. I, I promise I won't come knock on your door this afternoon in the middle of your Sunday afternoon nap. A uh, couple of announcements. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 9, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. A couple of announcements. Um, Next Steps class next Sunday afternoon. Uh, If you are visiting for the first time or the hundredth time and you think, you know what, I'd like to know a little bit more about what it is to be a member of Malvern Hill, um, I'd love to to talk with you about that. So we'll have a class talking about that next Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock. Uh, we'll meet in the conference room out of here behind this door. Um, our annual church barbecue is around the corner, and Buster needs you to buy tickets and sell tickets um, and eat a lot of barbecue. So uh, there will be tickets down front this morning that they can help you with, uh, but we do need your help with that. Um, uh, so if you can help us, that would be great. It's a really good, good opportunity for us. And uh, as I talk about this in our community, I find that people in our community actually look forward to it. Um, they, they like the barbecue buster. I mean, I, so good job. Way to go. Um, and then finally, we do have a women's event that Adam mentioned already, uh, a con- women's conference coming up. Um, again, one of those things that as I've been out in the community, people have been asking me about. So ladies, good job getting the word out on that. Should be a wonderful event. Uh, one of our own, Ms. Sherry Austin, will be speaking at that event. Uh, I know there's going to be food there. Um, and it's going to be gluten-free. That's all I know for sure about the food. But Because uh, um, I told them I would do the food, and I was told that was my only thing that I had to make sure that happened. So uh, there will be food there, and there will be um, a good speaker. Today is the last day to buy tickets, so uh, if you want tickets, uh, there will be ladies in the front and in the back uh, picking up tickets, or excuse me, selling tickets. If you have questions about that, Ginger Chestnut would be the best person to talk to. She's in the nursery this morning, so just walk on over there and relieve her from her nursery duty. Don't really do that, but uh, you just have to wait a minute to find her, and she'll be there. All right, by now, hopefully, you have made it to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read verses 2 through 13. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. Now, this is one of those just incredible moments in Scripture. I mean, everything sort of jumps off the page. It's almost unbelievable when you consider what the Bible says to us right here. So let's pay attention. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. In the Greek, that word is the same that we use to get metamorphosis. He was changed dramatically, okay? Um, before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, or, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents for you, and one for Moses and one for Elijah. I, I should say three tents, one for you, one for you got it. Verse 6, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. 
And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And they were coming down the mountain, and as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let's pray. Father in heaven... Thank you for this word. God, I I believe that in this, on this mountaintop experience, you have much to teach us. Father, I pray you would change our perspective and our understanding this morning. Show us the story that we have. In Christ's name, amen. How do the mountains change us? We... As y'all, do y'all listen, I, I, y'all probably get tired of me telling stories about this, this renovation project, so maybe we'll run out of those in another year or so. Um, but one of my favorite things that happened during the, the renovation, one of the least favorite things was, was the jackhammers. Those were terrible. Um, but one of the coolest things um, was uh, we had to, they had to rent a, a big lift out, out here to do some work. and um, So this was the very end of the project, and I hijacked that lift. And rode that thing all the way up over top of our steeple. I got a picture up there. Got a picture of the whole church. But man, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it, this is like the greatest tree stand that's ever been invented. I could have shot deer. Well, I couldn't have because I'm not that good of a shot. But if you can shoot good enough, you could have shot for a thousand yards. But I mean, here we are. And, and the perspective was so completely different. Everything was different. Everything, because I was looking down on the parking lot. I was looking down on cars as they pulled into the driveway. I was looking down on our steeple. Now, if you've never looked down on the steeple, you don't fully appreciate it because all we ever do is look up. The statue of David, as many of you are aware, such a famous work of art. Art critics, some at least today, say that it is situated wrong. That if you look at that statue from up above it, you get a different perspective and a perception of what David is trying to communicate. But we, because it's been placed on a, a, a high pillar, look up. Many art historians today say that the art, the piece was intend, in, t- initially intended to be viewed closer to eye level. What a difference it might make. Y'all, I want you to know that God gives us some mountaintop experiences in our life to change us. God also gives us some valleys to change us. He gives us exceptional experiences, some good and some bad, and much with the intent of changing our perspective, changing our understanding, and changing our story. Now we're going to come back to this in a minute, but one of the things I want to go ahead and and put out there for you to chew on is that the Bible is not written in the kind of culture that we live in today. We live in a very individualistic, therapeutic culture. 
And as a result of that very individualistic and therapeutic culture, we tend to read the Bible and read all these experiences as if God set them all down just for me. Folks, I want you to know that when God does something in your life, He didn't just do it for you. He did it for His glory and for your good and for the good of all the people around you. He gave you a story. And stories are meant to be told. This morning, let's jump in and let's look at these things. Three big points that we can glean, I believe, on how it is that the mountains change us. The first thing that these mountaintop experiences do is they change our perspective. They change our perspective. Why did Jesus take the disciples up onto a mountain? Do you know that sometimes God has to get us out of our normal life to get our attention? Sometimes God has to get us out of our normal life to get our attention. Now, I understand this pretty well. When, when we went through our adoption process, one of the things that was really wild for us was to see how inattentive our little ones were. They didn't see anything around them. Now, the reason that they didn't see anything around them, children who come from hard places, children who have, have experienced uh, abuse and neglect, they become survivors, which is pretty awesome when you think about what some of these kids have gone through. They learn to survive, but part of that survival means they can't worry about everything going on out there. They've got to worry about what's right here in front of them. Now, Brooklyn would drive us crazy. We'd say, pick up your shoes. Now, she couldn't find her shoes for nothing. They're sitting right there on the floor. Now, of course, we later learned that she had a bad eye and she was legally blind in that one eye and then we felt like terrible parents. You can see the shoe, it's right there. I don't see, she literally didn't see anything. But what, what had to happen for, for our kids is we had to help them to change their perspective. It was the craziest thing. We'd say something like, did you see the sunshine today? And they didn't see it because they had never looked up. Because the only thing they were worried about was making it from here to there. So many of us are just worried about making it from here to there. And we haven't looked up. We haven't looked around. God's got to take us out of our normal experiences to shake us and get our attention. Folks, and when he does, he can change all sorts of things. At the beginning of World War II, the British government had great concerns. And one of the great concerns they had is that as a result of the impending um, invasion by Nazi Germany that there would be such widespread depression and mental illness that they wouldn't be able to cope with all of it. Their fear was that the mental hospitals would be overrun and they would be overwhelmed and they didn't know what in the world they were going to do. But a crazy thing happened. As As the Germans began to encroach upon the British shores and as the bombs began to fall, the the mental hospitals didn't fill up. They began to empty out. It was crazy. You had guys who left mental hospitals and began driving ambulances. They suddenly were shaken from whatever was going on in their life and their perspective changed. Folks, sometimes God's got to shake us to change our perspective. Sometimes God needs to teach us something that he might not need to teach everybody. Maybe that's the reason he has to pull us out of our particular situation or our particular environment. I want you to notice that they went up a high mountain. Now this is one of the mysteries we have in the Bible. We don't know for sure where the Mount of Transfiguration is. Some have posited Mount Tabor. Some suggest that perhaps it's right around Caesarea Philippi. It really doesn't matter. The Bible didn't see fit to tell us. We know that they went up a high mountain. Now I'm curious, is it easy to climb a mountain? 
Last year, spring break, we took our kids, all four. So at that point, Sloan was, I guess, uh, four, and, and Brooklyn was six, and Wyatt and Aubrey, and up we went. Now, Wyatt and Aubrey got them big old long legs. Sloan's got the little bitty short legs. And what did we do? We decided we were going to climb Chimney Rock. Pretty smart move. And up Chimney Rock we go. And by the time we got to the top, that one with the little short legs was done. I mean, he was done. But by the time we got to the top and we sat down and we looked out, everything changed for at least a brief minute. Because all of a sudden there was a payoff for all the hard work. Sometimes God needs to exhaust us a little bit to challenge us, to beat us up just a smidge so that he can get our attention enough to help us change our perspective. The Bible says the disciples went up on a high mountain, and there on the mountain the disciples met Jesus along with Elijah and Moses. Why did he meet Elijah and Moses? Why did they meet them? It's a signal here, a a, a picture. that There they represent both the law and the prophets. Jesus is the very living, fulfilling Word of God who has come to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And there they are all gathered together right there on the Mount of Transfiguration. There Jesus is changing their perspective. Context matters. We have to remember that. Always, always, always. We are coming right out of Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ and then Peter saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, I know you're the Christ, but you're not going to die. Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And then we go up this mountain. We go up this mountain because the disciples needed a new perspective. They needed to understand that everything going on down here wasn't everything that there was. Jesus was a lot more than just your best friend. Jesus was a lot more than just a good dinner date because you never had to pay when Jesus was feeding. Jesus was King of kings and Lord of lords, and he was divine. He was very God in the flesh. There up on the mountain, they see Jesus in a different light, literally in a different, shining, exploding light. Folks, what has God done in your life to help you see Him in a different light? What has God used to help you see Him in a different light? Maybe God took you up on the mountain in incredibly powerful spiritual experiences and and there in those great moments and days you were able to see the light of the gospel in a new way. I know for many of you, he's taken you into the valley. And there in the valley, he walked with you. In the very valley of the shadow of death, you were not alone. For your great good shepherd walked with you. Jesus used the mountain to teach the disciples. But he also used the valleys. He used suffering. No one knew that better than the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, we're not going to be able to read all this this morning, but you're going to want to maybe put your finger there, stick a mark there, and maybe you'll go back and reread it this afternoon. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Well, if I can get there. Beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about all of his sufferings. He says, what am I? I am a fool for Christ's sake. 
in verse number um, 21. But whatever anyone dares, dares to boast of, I, I also dare to boast of that. He says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I'm a servant of Christ. And then in 23, he says, are we talking about great labors? How about imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? He goes on over and goes on down in chapter 12, verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord because he says, look, after all of that, when I began to experience some success in ministry, the Lord sent a, a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. Paul says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then you ready? I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He learned that in his hard days. If you don't believe it, turn on over to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned. Don't miss that. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Folks, God takes us to the mountains, and he takes us into the valleys. And in those places, he teaches us, and we Learn. Can I tell you that even when you find yourself in a valley that might not be the valley that is of your own doing, perhaps it doesn't even appear to be a valley that God wanted you there, that He's still there with you. He's teaching you. He's challenging you. He's changing you. He changes your perspective. He took the disciples up the mountain to change their perspective because they're on the mountain. They no longer saw a carpenter in lowly peasant's clothes. They no longer even saw a good teacher or a miracle worker. They're on the mountain with Elijah. <laughs> I mean, crazy, right? And Moses, they saw Jesus transfigured. Be careful. Sometimes when we teach or preach on this passage of Scripture, we go into lots of detail about the fact that the clothes were bleached whiter than anything else. And, and we, we work through all of that. Listen to me. If we focus on the clothes, we miss the part that comes right before it. It was Jesus who was changed. Jesus himself. He was exploded in radiant light and beauty and glory. And there in that place... They saw Jesus in a new light. Folks, have you seen Jesus in a new light? Some of you need to see Jesus in a new light today because some of you see Jesus as an angry, mean, harsh lawgiver. And the perspective we see in God's Word is that He is a loving, kind Savior. Who died to set you and me free from our sin. The mountains change our perspective. Number two this morning. The mountains will change our understanding. 
The mountains will change our understanding. Peter had a misunderstanding of the mission of the Messiah. Now, after this encounter, all misunderstanding should have been swept away. Why? Because, first of all, he saw Jesus transfigured. Second of all, he had a pretty amazing experience. A voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do you think that maybe this was geared right toward Peter? Do you remember that this is the same Peter who had said, No, no, you're not going to die. You don't understand, Jesus. Maybe this is God's slap across Peter's wrist. Hey, Peter, shut your mouth. He didn't say it just like that, but, but perhaps, perhaps this is God's wake-up call. Peter, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You got two ears and one mouth. Listen to him. Now we know that Peter's still struggling with this because look at verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. That's pretty awesome. Thanks, Peter. Build us a house. But read verse 6. Verse 6 reminds me of my childhood. For he did not know what to say. Now the reason I say it reminds me of my childhood is because I was a kid that just liked to talk all the time. I know y'all find that hard to believe. Y'all could have all just laughed at one time and gotten it over with. So Peter doesn't know what to say. Peter's afraid. And in the moment of ignorance, what does Peter do? He says, I know what I'll do. I'll just start talking. And if I talk long enough, something good will come out. Nah. Nah. One of the things that we teach our kids, and, and have really had to drive that point home recently, is to ask this question before you speak. Is it... Is it necessary and important? Not necessarily in that direction, but is it important and necessary? So before I speak, does this really matter? And the next thing is, does it need to be said? He's up there. Jesus is blazing white. There's Moses and Elijah, and Peter steps up. Boys, y'all just sit back. Let me take care of this. James, Maybe James and John are agony on Peter. Man, you don't mind? Just go say something. Do something. Maybe, or, and, and he goes, okay, or perhaps he looks at some boys, y'all just sit back, I got this. Jesus, it is a good thing that we're here. <laughs> really? Yeah, pretty much. It's a good thing we're here. And since I'm here, I know you need me to do something. Now you see what's going on right here. Legalism begins to rear its ugly head, doesn't it? Jesus, let me take care of this for you. A few minutes later, you hear, this is my beloved son. Listen, Peter. As spectators to the unveiling drama, Peter wants to do something. Jesus, there's so much good. Now let me jump in and help you. Peter is constantly misunderstanding his role and the role of Jesus. Peter is regularly misunderstanding his role. Jesus, let me help you accomplish your purpose in life. And Jesus is kind of going, to Peter, I, I got this. I don't know if you've looked around, but look, these two, Moses and Elijah, they're here with me. Peter, I brought you here. Peter says, but I want to do something. And Jesus says, you can't do anything but listen right now. He's changing your understanding. Folks, some of you need to climb up the mountain and sit down at the feet of Jesus. 
Some of you need to climb up the mountain and sit down at the feet of Jesus. And you just need to listen. You need to stop trying to explain to Jesus how it is that he's supposed to work. Or what it is he should have done. Or who it is he should have been talking to. And you just need to hush. You need to behold and listen. Folks, sometimes we just need to get away with the Lord so that he can change our perspective and our understanding. Now, I get it. I get it. Most of you don't have the opportunity to go get away for 24 or 48 or 72 hours. And just spend that time in silence and solitude with the Lord. Because you got children and grandchildren and jobs. And you got all this stuff. And some of you hear me say that and go, well, that's real easy for you, pastor. You can just run away and do whatever you want. We, we pay you to sit in an office and shut the door and study. And so here's what I want to help you do, folks. I, I want to get you in that place, even in the midst of your busy life. When's the last time that you just got alone for 15 minutes with the Lord and said, God, speak to me? Lord God, show me. When's the last time that you got up in the early dark morning the, uh, of, 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 of early dark of the morning before everybody else was awake and just spent time in the Word? When's the last time you sacrificed 15 minutes of your television to spend time right here? When? When's the last time you were willing to sacrifice 15 minutes of, of time talking to somebody else or texting with somebody else or playing on your phone? Just spend time right here. We sometimes allow the good to be the enemy of the perfect or the excellent. And some of us sit around and go, well, I don't have two hours to spend with the Lord, so why not listen? One of the things I've learned as I've gotten older, I, 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 you know, I don't get to, to spend as much time exercising as I once did. I mean, I chased kids, although we spent uh, oh, forever at a volleyball tournament yesterday. I don't even know how long we were there. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so guess, I mean, so all I did was sit there and eat, right? I, I don't get to do all the things I want to do. I didn't, I didn't get to go to the gym or go for a run or a bike ride yesterday. But here's one thing I've, I've had to come just to be okay with. Though if I don't get two hours to go to the gym, if I can squeeze 20 minutes for a walk in, I just need to take that 20 minutes. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't the best thing, but it was still better than nothing. Yesterday, in between matches, Angel and I got up and went outside. Listen, here it was like 50 degrees. I don't know why, but in Augusta, it was 75 and sunny. Like, I don't know what happened, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> so we just got up and went for a walk. I mean, I didn't, it wasn't the walk I wanted. I, I didn't, I wasn't, but, but it was better than nothing. When's the last time that you just said, Lord, I'm going to give you something? You know what you'll find is that those somethings that you give to the Lord over time add up to be something great. Because he's using those little something, he's building on top of them. Change your understanding. Get time with the Lord. He'll use those mountains and those valleys. But look, even when you hadn't made it to the mountain just yet, what if you could just climb a little hill right there in your, in your living room tomorrow morning? What if perhaps the Lord could transport you and transform you even in those, those moments? What does God do on the mountains? He changes our perspective. He changes our understanding. And finally this morning, He changes our story. Jesus told the disciples to keep this to themselves for a while. Watch that. Verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, He charged them to tell no one what they'd seen. Some of you live your Christian life as though verse 9 ended right there. But it doesn't. He says, until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. He changes your story. But listen, a story isn't a story unless it gets told. What is it? It's just a memory. 
It's only a story when it gets told. But when God takes us those places, He changes our story. God takes us up to the mountain for our good, for His glory, and for the good of others. As I mentioned earlier, we live in this very individualistic, therapeutic world. But the Bible is not written into this kind of world. We live in a world that affirms all sorts of unbiblical things with a mantra like, be true to yourself, or, or something like, as long as you're happy. I was brokenhearted recently as, as we connected with, uh, with an, an, an old friend, long story, kind of one of those mixed up mishmash messes. But there's, there's somebody going through a divorce. And then I was just brokenhearted to hear the parents say, but as long as they're happy, it doesn't, it's okay with me. I don't, I don't care. And then I, I saw another person approach about that same situation. I said, but are they happy? Folks, I've never met anybody going through a divorce that said, man, this is exciting. I want to do this again. And the only ones that you're laughing are people who haven't been through it because it hurts. It's hard. But we live in this society that says whatever makes you feel good, whatever is, 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 is personally fulfilling, that is the thing that you must pursue. But that's not Jesus' story. And it's certainly not the culture in which this Bible was written, nor the culture that this Bible intends to create in our lives and in our churches and in our communities. Because this Bible is written to speak into these cultures and to change us, to change our perspective, to change our understanding, and to change our story so that we no longer look only in the mirror, but we look out. And we take that story of what it is that God has done and we communicate it. We know that the disciples told this story. How do we know? Because we got it, right? There were only four of them on the mountain and one of them's up there and three of them were down here. There's only one. Somebody had to tell the story. Why did they tell the story? Do you know what they didn't do? This, this passage of Scripture does not give us a picture of like Peter, James, and John as the heroes of the story. Instead, it gives us Peter as being... Sort of the thick-headed one of the story again. And they told the story anyway. Why? Because they believed that other people needed to hear that this Jesus whom they served was more than a man. He was the very Son of God. God changes your story. He takes us up to a mountain to change our perspective, to change our understanding, but also to change your story. How has God changed your story? Man, if we took time this morning, we could have testimony, I'm sure, after testimony. Some of you would step up and you'd tell us about the great victories and, 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 and joys that you'd experienced and the way that God used those to change you. Some of you could tell us about the deep valleys that He walked you through. Health crisis, deaths of spouses and children. And yet through those things, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you did not have to fear evil for your God was with you. What's it look like to experience the good times and the bad times in the presence of the Lord? And I guess at the end of the day, that, that's sort of the big question. What's God done for you? 
What has he done for you? Now you say, Craig, you just told us not to be individualistic. Let's think through it. What did he do for you? What's he done for all of us? Where's your mountaintop? You see, because the reality is that the most important mountain that he has taken you to is, is not Chimney Rock or Mount Everest. And the most important valley where you've experienced him is, is not the Grand Canyon. The most important mountain that he took you to is less a mountain and more a hill. Because it's there on Golgotha Hill, there on Calvary, that our Savior died. You see, God has been in the business of working on mountains as long as we've known Him. So it should come as no surprise that He took Jesus up onto a hill. And there on that hill, a cross was erected, and upon that cross, our Savior died. See, that's the greatest mountaintop experience of all. See, this is what's unbelievable about, unbelievable about the Christian story. See, following the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I just want you to think through this. Up until the resurrection and the ascension, can you imagine that Peter, James, and John had ever experienced anything so incredible as the transfiguration? I mean, you think about it. All of a sudden, seemingly from out of nowhere... The great biblical heroes that they had heard of and the God they worshipped appear to them in blazing, glorious light. And yet, when it comes time to summarize the Christian story in the weeks, years, months, and even centuries that would pass, the Christian story is not symbolized with a glowing mountaintop. Instead, with a simple wooden cross. Because the most important mountain in all of Scripture is less mountain and more hill, and it is Calvary. For there he ascended with a cross upon his back and gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. What has God done for you? He saved you from hell. He has redeemed you from the power of sin. He has ransomed you. He has set you free. God has forgiven you. And as we move toward a conclusion this morning, I want to suggest to you that there on Calvary, we are given a new perspective. Just as on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples got a new perspective of Jesus, there on Calvary we're given a new perspective. The perspective of a God who loves us enough to die for us. When we look upon the wounds of our Savior, our sin is seen in perspective as gross and terrible and an injustice against a holy God. We're given a new understanding. There we can begin to understand that salvation is actually possible. That our sins can actually be forgiven. That we can actually be made right. That this unjust, broken world can actually, really, literally, literally, totally be healed. There, 
we begin to understand as we look upon our Savior that our separation from God can be healed. We can be made right and clean and new. Just as Jesus' garment showed white as snow, so too can we be made pure and holy. You see, when we look upon the cross of Calvary, we're given a new perspective, a new understanding, and a new story. And that story is of a God who loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. A God who would love so much that He would sacrifice His own Son so that you and I might be made whole and pure. A God who would love so much that He was intent for this old world of decay and suffering to not be our final resting place, that He was intent to take us to a paradise we didn't even know could exist. You see, because it's through that little hill on Calvary that we can ascend the mountain and experience the presence of our Savior. And in that day, an incredible thing will take place. In that moment, for those who are children of the King, an incredible thing. And this is where the whole story gets turned upside down on its head. You ready? Watch. Suddenly looking around, or excuse me, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The day will come when children of the king will stand in the presence of God Almighty. And guess what we get to be called? Beloved son. Welcome. Welcome. Experience the fruits of my labor on your behalf. Welcome. Would you come today? I mean, would you? I mean, seriously, would you like, can, you, can, we, can we push past all of the, the false ideas of what somebody might expect of you or what somebody might want? Can, can we get over, can we get over who might be watching and can you just listen for just a minute when I tell you this? God loved you, you, you enough to send his only son to die. And though your sin be as scarlet, as nasty as it could be, though it be scarlet, it can be made white as snow. The gleaming garments of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration can be yours. He will save you. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. It don't matter because I know what he did. And it was enough. Would you come today? Would you come today and receive Jesus and be saved? Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that we would look to the cross of Calvary. And there in the background, see the shining glory.
of heaven's shores. Lord God, it is through that cross that we get access, we gain access to the Savior. Lord God, would you work in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come today as we sing? Stand with us. Sing together. So you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus. Then let your response be to sing aloud, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Sing with us. And if today is the day that you need to experience forgiveness from your Savior, would you come today and let me lead you to know the Lord. Lord, I come.